Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. And hello, this is Diamante, clinical nutritionist. And today we have another episode of the Candida Chronicles. We have an interesting topic we're going to go over today. We've had some emails requesting that we discuss this. This is uh, getting into the more esoteric side of the Candida uh, issues. We've had emails inquiring as to how candida may affect someone in ways they're not aware of. Which is a very interesting question, actually. It made me pause and think for a second, because we come across these things in practice. Uh, but it's, it's such an elusive issue, and can be so different person to person, that it, it does bear examination, so that someone can step back and take a look at this viewpoint to see if there's any truth in it for them. So in looking at this, I started sketching some notes on this, uh, things that I've remembered from uh, former patients and from clinical practice. And interestingly enough, there was a case of a person who changed the way they drove to work each day because of their candida infection. Now that may sound crazy, but uh, this, is the, this is how the history goes in this case. We have a person who lived in New York City, in Brooklyn, and they noticed that when they drove to work, by the time they got to work, they had a headache. And upon examining this, because the person was going pretty crazy trying to figure out why this would be, but when they started to examine this, they noticed that the road that they took in coming to work went through an industrial area with a lot of heavy chemical smells and odors. So this person concluded that it must have been the chemicals that were giving them the headache. So they changed the route and avoided that area because that was like a 20 minute drive through this industrial section. They changed the route and they noticed that sure enough uh, when they drove to work differently they no longer ended up in work with a headache. Now, in retrospect, when the person came to me as a patient, uh, when I discovered that they had a candida overgrowth, we also discovered that they had leaky gut syndrome. One of the particular symptoms, an outstanding symptom of leaky gut syndrome is chemical sensitivities. So here you have a person who's driving to work who has candida, leaky gut, unknowingly to themselves, and they're going through an area that's heavily toxic, and by the time they arrive at work, they have a headache from the toxicity. So here's a case where the, having candida literally changed how this person would drive to work. And it's the elusiveness of this illness, I guess, which makes it so interesting. Because this person never would have thought their problem was candida. They just thought, well, they're, these chemicals that they're being affected by are causing a headache. They didn't think to the underlying situation. Now, uh, you get into emotional issues as well. Interestingly enough, there was a person we had as a patient many years ago who owned a bakery. And this person would become very angry and fitful when they were in the store and they were actually participating in the baking of the 
breads and cakes and whatnot. And it's very odd because people had concluded that, well, this fellow, this, they have a temper, um, they have uh, their fixed ideas of how the baking should be done. They have a very low tolerance of other people. Literally, these are things that came, uh, they came to my office with, the, the wife in particular. And the daughter who worked in the, in the uh, family business here came in with these issues, you see. And uh, this is what's wrong with the man here. And he is very argumentative and this whole list of, whole list of things. So that's fine. So we, we sit down and we discover this person has candida. Now, as the, we treated his candida, they noticed that when he was involved in the, in the baking, which was in the basement of the, of the building, he, he wasn't getting all emotionally disturbed. Well, what was happening with this person? Well, uh, you have a person with candida, and what you're doing is you're putting him in a, in a room with yeast. And that's not something that's going to particularly go over too big. Because this person was having allergic reaction on top of allergic reaction due to the yeast in his environment. Uh, this becomes, looking at it from hindsight, becomes very obvious what was wrong. You have a, a baker, the baker's exposed to yeast. The yeast triggers all types of allergic reactions in this person's body. It was manifesting for this person, uh, affecting his emotions where he was getting very irritable. So the family though had their own version of what was wrong. Uh, you know, this man had all these issues where it literally was as simple as the man was having allergic reactions to the yeast exposure. Because when he finished our program, we didn't hear anymore about how he was argumentative or, or whatnot. So you can imagine now someone who has allergies, which are making him irritable, being told that he has all these personality disorders, which, are, which aren't true, or, or which apparently, like uh, as a miracle, just disappeared when his candida was treated. So here we have the example of how it would affect someone emotionally. Well, let's take a look at the, the child who has candida who's eating sugar. Uh, we've had many reports over the years of children who, when they ate sugar, uh, the parents noticed all types of behavior would occur. The children would become um, hyperactive or they'd become angry. Some cases they would literally fall asleep right, at, right upon eating the sugar. Now, if someone was observing sudden changes in a child and not observing that the child was in, uh, intaking sugar, you could run off to all types of uh, unfair and inaccurate conclusions about what's wrong with this child. You know, the next thing you know, they're calling in an exorcist. Where the problem is the child who has candida is eating sugar and he's having a reaction to the sugar. This type of uh, observation is very, really necessary when you're dealing with a candida case so that you can fully appreciate how the person's illness is affecting them situationally in many different ways. Skin reactions are another problem that you run into with candida. And very often you would find that a, per a person would have their skin reactions change as their candida situation changes. Uh, over the years we've had people who've had fungal rashes literally from head to toe, where the fungal rashes were so bad that they literally could not go out of the house or leave their environment because the skin would burn when it was exposed to the outside air. This is particularly like in the, the five borough area in New York. Because of the pollution, the skin would burn. The person couldn't leave their house. We've had a few patients like this in LA also, um, where you have very bad air quality 
Again, they try to leave the house and their skin would literally burn. So, to talk about how this is affecting these people, uh, this becomes then quite obvious. There, unfortunately, is not much you can do about it with a case like that except just handle the underlying problem because it's so overwhelming. Lotions and things topically really don't do much because the infection is in part coming from inside as well as the infection that develops on the outside. So when you develop an infection of that nature, the eruptions in the skin that you get from the internal candida then cause secondary infections to occur on the skin. So most doctors are successful in treating the secondary infections by giving antibiotics or antibiotic ointments. The problem is the primary infection is uh, coming from within the body, which their topical uh, solutions and topical medicines are not going to have any effect on. This is similar to sinus problems. Um, we've had people who noticed every time they ate foods, and it's particularly baked goods that's always the problem. It's usually breaded cakes. Uh, they would develop a sinus problem. Their sinuses would become congested, and if they continue to do so, they then develop a sinus infection. Very often this was attributed to gluten um, sensitivity, where it's actually not a gluten sensitivity. It's actually just, a, it's just candida the person's dealing with. And by eating the baked goods, they're feeding the candida, and they develop a fungal infection. And when you develop a fungal infection in the sinus, that's pretty bad. Um, there's been, over the years, I would say, a uh, 360 that we've observed in patients. Patients who started out with bacterial sinus infections will eventually develop a fungal infection in the sinuses due to the use of the antibiotics. Once they develop that fungal infection in the sinus, it now becomes a vicious cycle because what, the, what will happen is when the fungus becomes active and causes the infection, then a secondary bacterial infection starts. And if you try treating the secondary bacterial infection with antibiotics, you're making the underlying fungal infection worse. So, of course, the way to do it is to treat the fungal infection and the bacterial infection simultaneously to eradicate both so the person doesn't continue to go through the same cycle. Uh, people often will find that when they, sometimes when they fly, they have this issue. Um, Flying is a, from a sinus viewpoint or a breathing viewpoint, of course, it can be very bad because you're in an enclosed space with questionable ventilation and you have uh, other people who are carrying their own germs around with them. And all you need is one or two people on the plane to have a cold and be sneezing, and to be spreading the uh, rhinovirus all through the plane. And the next thing you know, your own infections are starting to kick up again. I don't think most patients with candida view their behavior or view uh, what happens to them as anything more than this is their situation. In fact, what's actually happening with them is they are harboring a colony of different critters and these critters all have their own patterns of behavior patterns of, of activity in the body they all want to be fed and they all react to different foods in different ways so your patient with candida has a, a range of issues which could occur all based on these microbes and also based on the uniqueness of the microbe. Digestive issues, of course, are very famous with candida. And there you'll find people then will start developing 
their own food preferences or their own diets out of necessity. So you have the patient who doesn't know he has candida will start to observe that he reacts badly to things that are sweet. So he, he then can immediately go into agreement with all the people that talk about how bad sugar is. Then upon further inspection, he's going to find that he has reactions to gluten. So then he can join the anti-gluten uh, parade, so to speak. All the people who are anti-gluten, who are gluten-free, and it becomes a whole movement. Well, he can certainly be part of that movement because he observes that when he eats gluten, his symptoms flare up. They can find the same thing true of dairy. So now they've kind of joined the allergy set in the health food store where they're buying all the substitutes, all the gluten-free, dairy-free things because they can now see that they're allergic. And the interesting thing is people don't necessarily draw a line between being allergic and the food being bad. What very often happens is the person concludes that this food is bad because he reacts to it, which may not actually be true. Just because you react to a food, it doesn't necessarily mean that the food is bad because uh, allergies to foods are what they are and that there are certain foods for various reasons that people have a better chance to develop an allergy to. It doesn't necessarily mean those foods are bad. It means they're bad for you. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad just in general. But the candida patient is going to quickly find that his diet starts to become free of sugar, uh, free of gluten and dairy. And he's going to also find that he also will have problems with yeast. When yeast is added, he very often will have some type of reaction. And this is a person yet who still does not know or realize that he has candida. And it's actually the candida that he harbors within that has these reactions to these foods. It's not necessarily him. There was a doctor many years ago, Dr. Coco, who developed an allergy pulse test. And this is a very useful test because allergy testing generally can be somewhat controversial. Everyone argues over which is the best allergy test. Well, Dr. Coco observed that people who had allergies or sensitivities to things would be able to find their pulse elevated by 10 to 15 beats about 10 minutes after they ingested the suspicious substance. So what he would typically have the person do is take their pulse then consume the food that was in question, and then 10 to 15 minutes later, take your pulse again. And if your pulse was 10 or 15 beats higher than it had been before you ate the food, he would conclude your body was having a reaction or a sensitivity. And there have been many people who've done this who have candida, and they will then see the outline of their diet be becoming very clear. They're not going to eat sweets. They're not going to eat uh, yeast-containing products, gluten-containing products, and dairy because they're going to have reactions to these things. So this is, again, a person whose diet is now changing or he is now conforming his diet to what he's observing he's allergic to. And he, again, of course, at this time, does not have the knowledge that it's candida which is dictating this. Now, if he knew that it was candida dictating this, he could handle the candida as opposed to being the complete total effect of the allergies that he has from having candida. And you find this very typical in young children. You'll find in young children, children who have asthma and eczema, particularly those children that are born with asthma and eczema, are children who are born with candida and leaky gut syndrome. Very typically, you'll find this. And this dictates, from the, the dictates certain uh, limitations in the child's life right from the, right from the gate. Because testing for candida is not something that typically a pediatrician would do. And I would argue that that would be the ideal situation. 
Uh, the ideal scene would be for the pediatrician to be the candida expert and for the pediatrician to recognize the symptoms of candida in young children so that this is handled before they enter their teenage years and their adulthood and they end up living a life with this, with this illness, which then dictates uh, the person's direction in many ways that they are not even in, a, in any kind of opportunity to be aware of or change. You get children who have food allergies and you have the limitations and the issues that we get there. Then you have the children, because they're asthmatic, have limitations in sports and a lot of uh, activities of, of that nature. So they're not going to be able to participate as well because they have their asthma problems. Then you're going to have seasonal allergies, which occur. And what's going to happen with this kid you know, when it's hay fever season? If, well, if he has very bad hay fever, he ends up trying to uh, stay in the, in the indoors in the air conditioning because that's the only place he's going to get some relief because the air conditioning, to some degree, filters out some of the pollen he's reacting to. Because this, this person's life with hay fever is like one constant cold or flu that he's having. And that's no fun, that's no fun I can tell you that, as someone who, was, who had hay fever at a young age and as a, into my young adulthood, I had hay fever um, because of my own immune inadequacies, which I later on handled. But that's, it's definitely not a fun thing. And it definitely changes how your activity or your schedule will then come down. Because there are things that a person or a child who has hay fever or allergies is not going to be prone to do that yet other children will be doing. Skin problems, as I said earlier, again, become another issue. Uh, eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis of all types, typically generated by internal candida. And those skin problems can affect the clothing that a child wears. Because certain clothing is going to be more comfortable than others. It starts to affect different activities because depending on where the rash is, that could dictate things he can do or can't do. Uh, as an example, if the child develops eczema and it's particularly bad on his hands, well, when the child tries to do certain work with his hands, whether it's sports or any type of activity that, re that requires the, your hands, well, there's going to be a certain amount of cracking, bleeding, flaking of the skin, that you can develop secondary bacterial infections in those cracks that occur. So this is, again, another limitating issue where the, the person has to limitate their activity, even in something as simple as working with their hands due to having this unknown candida infection. Hearing is another issue that we've come across in the years of practice. Uh, people with candida can, at times, develop chronic ear infections. And this impairs their ability to hear. And when your ability to hear is impaired, your communication with others can be impaired. So there then becomes a problem with communication, with the person hearing what's going on around them or things that are being told to them. One of the easiest ways to deal with these types of infections, if you have them, is with food, uh, I'm sorry, with 3% hydrogen peroxide. If you take the 3% hydrogen peroxide and literally pour it into the ear as though the ear was a funnel, the ear will bubble up. It's not uncommon for it to bubble for 15 to 20 minutes before it stops. And that's the hydrogen peroxide killing whatever infection is there. So how this would typically be done is you would lie on one side. Let's say you lie it on your right side. You would pour the hydrogen peroxide in your left ear just as though it was a funnel and you just lie there until all the noise stops because you'll get a tremendous amount of noise popping all types of sounds as the hydrogen peroxide starts to kill the bacteria and the yeast that are there. Then you would place a towel over the ear 
sit up to drain it, and then do the next side. So now you would lie on your left side and fill up the right side with the hydrogen peroxide. And if this is done daily, you can get a pretty good job done of killing the infection in the ear, but it's not necessarily being done the way you think it is. Because the hydrogen peroxide is not going to come into the inner ear because the eardrum stops that from happening. If you immersed yourself in water and the eardrum allowed fluid just to come in to your inner ear, you'd have a lot of problems constantly. So this is not how the hydrogen peroxide works. What it's literally doing is it's being absorbed by the tiny capillaries and blood vessels in the ear. And it's then going through the lymphatic circulation in the ear to destroy the organisms that are within the inner ear. That is the, the, the correct uh, analysis of how this actually does work. It's not as though it's the sinus where if you uh, were to inject using an eyedropper the hydrogen peroxide into your sinus and then uh, tilt your head back, uh, you're literally going to feel it go through your sinuses and come back into your mouth. That's not the way the ear is going to work because of the eardrum sealing things off. But that's still a very effective method in conjunction with other therapies of dealing with the infection in the ear if it's chronic so that you can gradually reduce it and bring things back to normal there. So here we see from these examples that I've put out, this is a, a more subtle viewpoint of looking at candida. When the person doesn't have the knowledge that they have candida, it, the candida infection can change and shape their lives in many, many different ways. And these, the, the key thing is that these are things that happen to the person which they're not aware of or they're unaware of happening to them. Uh, arthritic problems are quite, quite an interesting thing. Um, we've had many people over the years who would come to us with different types of arthritic pain and different locations in the body, which was being caused by candida. And when the candida cleared up and these arthritic problems went away, the person was amazed to, in hindsight, now look back and, and, and have to conclude that these problems they had were coming from an organism, a microbe like this, rather than it being this disease that they were destined to have, you see. It's very typical that people with rheumatoid arthritis have candida and have leaky gut syndrome. There's been quite a lot of research done on leaky gut syndrome being the underlying cause of many cases of rheumatoid arthritis. So when you're dealing with friends, relatives, whatnot, who have these various complaints that they have, you're going to have the uncle who has the, he walks with a cane because he's had this arthritis for years. You're going to have the person uh, who is chronically congested when the sinuses or who appears to have some type of chronic sinus condition. You're going to have the person with all the food intolerances. When they come to your house, they can't eat this, they can't eat that, they can't eat this. Um, you're going to have the person who get, develops migraine headaches at different times from known or unknown causes. You'll have the person with various skin rashes, skin complaints. All of these people, when you're, gonna, when you're in their presence and you're looking at them, you can't help but wonder, do they have candida? Uh, I, I certainly do. Um, and in my position, I have to be uh, a bit more restrained because I'm apt to be blamed of thinking everybody has candida, uh, which I do not think that, but this is something which in, you know, in the locker room between us boys easily could be assigned to me. But when you're looking at these people and you, you talk with them, and as most of you, I'm sure most of you who are taking the time to listen to this type of podcast is also the type of person who is interested and helping others, otherwise you probably wouldn't even be listening to this, you're apt to try to enlighten them or to uh, give them some kind of advice to lead them down a path that you know of as being correct. 
But what you have to keep in mind is that these are people who know their symptoms and they know what excites their symptoms or what sets the symptom off. And they're going to give you a million wrong reasons. Well, the correct reason would open up a door to a correct handling for the problem. But this is not what they're going to give you. What they're going to give you their observations, which have kind of been pounded into their head uh, over the years. They're going to tell you, oh, I know that once I eat this, that sets me off. Or as long as I don't eat that, or don't eat this, I'll be okay. So that what that means, to interpret it, is as long as they don't eat these certain foods, their symptoms are not going to be acute. Uh, they know that as long as they're not exposed to certain chemical smells or certain situations where they're in an environment that has chemicals or molds or environmental toxins which provoke their symptoms, they're going to be okay. So when, you're gonna, when you start to talk to them, what you're going to get back from them is not the correct reason, but what their observations have been in terms of what makes their symptoms worse or noteworthy, where they then are the effect of them. It's great, though, that you try to enlighten them as to the fact that it could be candida, but that's not going to be easy. You're going to first need to listen all to all how they're, you know, experts on what their symptoms do. And they'll go through it. They'll have a whole list. They're going to know what makes their arthritis worse, uh, what time of the year, what weather. And most of these are probably very valid. The only problem is the, they're not dealing with the underlying cause. So unfortunately, it's, it's their, their observation is leading them astray. Their observation is pointing them towards things which are merely, uh, let's say, um, factors that aggravate the situation or factors which heighten it. But none of their ob observations are going to lead them or you to what the cause is. Now, if you can get the person to go back to when this first started, you want to take them back to a time when they didn't have the problem and then have them come forward in time to where the problem starts to develop, you want to find out what was happening with them around that time. And this is a typical thing you would do as a, a doctor or a health practitioner in the first consultation when you're going through the person's health history. You want to try to find out what the cause was. Because you certainly don't want that person being repeatedly exposed to the cause, otherwise you're not going to really get a leg up in the treatment. Now in most cases you're going to find that before the person had these conditions chronically there was some type of situation that required them to take a medication. And the medications that you're most interested in are antibiotics, you're interested in antacids, you're interested in hormone preparations, estrogens and cortisols, or cortisones. And of course, you're interested in chemotherapeutic agents. So if you can go back to that time, you find the person was exposed to one of these drugs, you're likely to find that their symptoms began to develop chronically after they were on the drug. And sometimes it would be after being on repeated courses of the drug. It's not unusual to find that the symptoms occurred after an accident. Well, what, what typically happens after an accident, the person's put on antibiotics and cortisone, two drugs that cause candida. And uh, also consider that candida tends to affect the person in the weaker areas of the body. So if this person genetically tends to have weak skin, or a tendency towards skin problems. Let's say you observe in their family there's a tendency towards skin problems. Well, when the person develops their candida, it very often will demonstrate itself as a skin 
problem of some sort. Where other people maybe more tended towards arthritis or pulmonary problems, you know, this it will then manifest in those people differently. But candida is always going to hit the person genetically at their weakest link. So when you're talking to the person, you want to try to get them back to the point when they didn't have the problem and then find out what happened. It would be unusual that there would not be a drug that started this whole situation for them. Very unusual, because candida is definitely known nowadays as an atrogenetic disease, which is doctor-induced disease. Iatrogenetic means it's doctor-induced. Doctor-induced, I guess, could be supplanted for medication-induced. But surgeries also can bring these conditions about. Uh, very commonly, different types of oral surgery easily can cause these conditions. Any type of surgery where the doctor gives the person antibiotics for any sustained period of time is easily going to cause the condition. That may or may not have been for an accident. It could have been because the person uh, may have developed a gallbladder problem, let's say, and he had to have his gallbladder removed. That's a whole interesting case in itself. Um, but let's say that was the situation. Let's say it was a sports injury that you're dealing with. Any, any, in any case where the body's going to go through a trauma and it's going to be exposed to medications like this, you're apt to find that candida will then develop as a result of that. Interesting when you're dealing with someone who's a chronic antacid user. Um, this is very interesting because it, it bumps into a lot of false data out there about candida. People have been taught that you need to have an alkaline environment to be healthy and you need to be as alkaline as possible almost in a sense because its acidity is the enemy and acidity is what causes these ailments. Well, that's not totally true at all. Because in the intestinal tract, candida thrives in an alkaline pH. Now, as a result of having candida, the person's system may start to turn more acidic because candida itself releases acid wastes into the body, which adds to the body's acidity, makes it overly acidic, and causes problems of that nature. But in the intestinal tract, the mechanisms which control candida involve bacteria which are themselves acid-forming. These bacteria deliberately release acids into the intestinal tract to keep the pH in a certain range where candida and other microbes don't flourish. Candida generally flourishes in a pH in the intestinal tract that's above 7.4, 7.5. So when you take an antacid pill, what you're doing is you're neutralizing the amount of acid the stomach makes, which has a dramatic effect on the intestinal pH. You tend to get a higher intestinal pH when you take antacids, because you're suppressing the stomach acid, which is one of the ways you regulate the pH of the digestive tract. You regulate it with your stomach acid, and you regulate it with the bacteria that are there. So if, you're, if you find that at some point this person became a Tums user, uh, here is where you'll find a gradual uh, lineage into the person developing candida. There are symptoms they may, may then develop within a couple of years of them taking these antacids on a continual basis. So you're gonna, you'll be able to do this detective work quite easily once you know what to look for. And typically what you're looking for is these points where the person took the common medications that are known to cause candida. It's a bit more difficult. Well, it could, it, it's either, we can view it as difficult or easy, depending on how you want to look at it, when you're dealing with a child who has these conditions. Because many children develop these conditions either at birth, from picking up the candida from mom, if, if a mother has chronic vaginal yeast infections, the child typically picks up candida from the birth canal uh, when the child is being born. 
also, if the, the child within the first few years of life, if they're exposed to a significant amount of antibiotics, if they're vaccinated, if they're uh, given the typical mercury-laden amalgam fillings, they gradually develop candida. One of the simplest things you can do is with, with a child is that at first indication of any type of imbalance going on in their flora is to give them a child's probiotic. Um, undoubtedly, you can save the child years of misery by doing such. Uh, if you have a, let's say you have a newborn who starts to develop a rash, well, right then and there, that's an indication this newborn may have some type of bad, harmful flora. If you put that newborn on an infant's uh, flora supplement, an infant's probiotic, there's a very good chance it will correct that flora imbalance at that young age and save this child perhaps a lifetime of dealing with psoriasis, asthma, eczema, and a host of food allergies. I'm going to take a few questions because we have a few coming in here. Okay, here's here's one. The person writes that they suspect they've had candida all their life, but it's uh, something which apparently has gone through changes, and they would like me to discuss how candida can change over time. That's actually a very good question, uh, because this is something that we do see. Uh, you can have candida as a child. It could manifest certain symptoms, but then your body's immune system can start to adapt to these symptoms only to have it change. Well, here's an example I can give you, a real-life example that we had. Uh, we had a patient who came to us a few years ago for digestive reasons. They had very bad digestive problems. Chronic constipation, bloating gas, you know, much what you would typically hear from the candida patient. This person came onto our treatment. Their digestive system improved. Their symptoms were eliminated. And they didn't continue with the treatment. I think this person had the majority of their symptoms eliminated on our phase one of the program, which is probably not even halfway through the treatment. But that improvement in the symptoms was good enough for them. And that was their concern. Well, probably six or seven years later, we had the person come back to us and tell us that they realized that they had left the treatment at an incomplete point and that their candida now had morphed and changed. Now, what this person was, was reporting was now they were suffering with arthritic symptoms, a lot of musculoskeletal types of problems, aches and pains that changed depending on what they ate, sometimes depending situational on where they were, what type of environment they were in. Now, I have to I give it to this patient that this was a very good observation they were making because what they were finding was that the the quote arthritis that they were being told they had reacted to food which wouldn't be typical of your standard arthritis it wouldn't necessarily react to food what would react to food would be candida and a microorganism of course so this person having left the treatment at a point when the candida had reduced enough to handle their digestive symptoms but had not reduced enough to the point where it may not cause other symptoms in the future. Then the person developed these arthritic feelings. And they observed that the arthritic feelings seemed to change when they ate foods that would aggravate candida, when they were around uh, chemicals, uh, chemical environments, cigarette smoke, perfume, things like this, which would also aggravate candida. And the person on their own concluded, well, I must still have the candida. And this is when they came back to us as a patient. And this was a very good observation because the candida had changed. 
on the, on the program, it was reduced enough to where it wouldn't cause their digestive symptoms. But in real life, it wasn't reduced enough to the point where it wouldn't come back and cause some other kind of problem at some point, which is what it then indeed did. Now, interesting, uh, other, some other information that we can add on to this, which is, uh, I think, very interesting, especially for a pediatrician to know. The terminology, he'll outgrow it, this phrase, he'll outgrow it. This comes about, people observe the child has an allergy, uh, child has a sensitivity. As the child gets old, older, the sensitivity falls away or the allergy seems to go away. Well, what's happened? What does that actually mean? He'll outgrow it. What, what that means is that as the child gets older, his adrenal glands become more active and the adrenal glands are able to detoxify this reaction that they're having. When the person's young, the adrenal glands are not as active as they're going to be as they get older in terms of handling inflammatory reactions. So as the person gets older, their immune system becomes better able to distinguish what's really a threat and what really isn't, and the adrenal glands become better at detoxifying these reactions before they become full-blown and become a full-blown allergic reaction that the person would recognize. This is a balance of the adrenal glands and the thymus gland that's taking place as the person's getting older. They're actually, their adrenal glands are getting stronger. The adrenal glands are able to handle the reaction. That's what's meant by outgrowing it. The person who has candida is in an interesting situation too because as their body is evolving, their immune system is evolving and having lived with candida for all those years, their body is becoming expert at how it's dealing with the immunological reactions that are occurring from having candida, having the mycotoxins, having the different forms of aldehydes and alcohols being released into the body. The body is trying to adapt at any given time to these situations. That's the, the one thing we always will know about the human body. The body is constantly trying to adapt. And in doing so, it's trying to handle the reactions that occur from the candida. Now, you know, one has to then consider candida as a live organism that you have within your body, and it is able to spread to different areas. So as the candida itself evolves, as the candida itself spreads, it has the potential to cause different symptoms depending on where it goes or where its toxins go to. A uh, thing that is also confusing to people in the subject of how candida may affect you, is people will tend to believe that wherever their symptom is, there lies the candida, which is not true. Uh, candida lives mostly in the mucous membranes of the body, which is easily the intestinal tract, the sinuses, the mouth, the vaginal area, and the, perhaps the genitals. This is where it lives predominantly. It can move into... Uh, systemic circulation by getting into your lymphatic system, um, by getting into the gallbladder. This is very typically how candida moves, you see. Uh, candida will get from the colon into the bile ducts and into the lymphatic system that then goes into the liver and gallbladder. And then from there, it can move wherever it's going to go. A person who's taken a lot of antibiotics, for instance, that affect the lungs in particular, can develop candida infections in the lungs. If you've taken the antibiotics for the sinus, well, then you can develop the candida in the sinus. So it will also depend on where the medication's affecting you. But the toxins from candida easily go everywhere in the body. The mycotoxins, the different alcohols that the candida releases the neurological toxins it releases, these know no boundary, essentially. So while the candida it may be in fixed places, it's the toxins from the candida which cause reactions throughout the body, just and generally speaking, anywhere in the body. 
So if the person has a pain, let's say in, in one area of the body, that area may be inflamed. It may be reacting to the toxins from the candida, which causes the inflammation. But that doesn't mean that the candida is in the site of the pain. If you have bad vision, since you develop candida, it doesn't mean the candida is in your eyes. That's your body's reaction to the toxins from candida affecting your vision. Uh, very typically, we get patients who come in and they swear that they have candida in their brain. Well, while that's possible, theoretically, it's extremely rare. Um, what the person's complaining of is the drowsiness, the fatigue, the spaced out feeling that you get when you have candida due to neurological toxins and mycotoxins. So it's not that the candida is in the brain, it's that the poisons that the candida releases are affecting your cognitive abilities. So it's affecting your brain, but not necessarily is the candida in the site of your symptom. Well, uh, folks, that's going to be all the time we have for today. I hope you found this edition of the Chronicles informative. And we will be here this Thursday at 4 p.m. with another edition of the Candida Chronicles. We hope you join us then soon. Thank you very much, and have a great day. For this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State Certified Clinical Nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330.